Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from Tiresiar in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockrell. At any time, there are many debates going on inside the Australian media about itself and the problems it faces. One word has been at the centre of many of these debates, and not just this year or last, but for several decades now, and that word is Murdoch. In recent years, much of the chatter has been about who will replace Rupert Murdoch, the speculation normally being that his successor would be one of his three children he had with his second wife, Anna, namely Elizabeth, Lachlan or James. Add one addictive and hyperbolic TV show to the mix and you have the makings of dinner party discussions happening all over the country and around the world. Out of the three children Rupert had with Anna, only one has made a mark in Australia and also currently calls Australia home. That person is Lachlan Murdoch. He's also currently the one best place to take over from his dad. Paddy Manning's new book is an unauthorised biography of Lachlan Murdoch. The book is called The Successor. Paddy Manning, great to have you back on Fourth Estate. Thank you, Anthony. Now, look, I'd like to start with the reasons behind you writing the book. For someone who's regularly in the news and the centre of many debates around the media in Australia, Lachlan Murdoch is a bit of a ghost. We don't really have a, a proper handle on this guy. Was, was that your motivation in writing this book or, or was it a combination of some other factors? Oh, no, I think you're right in the sense that, um, yeah, people are, are a little bit confused um about what his his own views are different to you know um his those of his father Mm -hmm. um and what's you know what's he like as a business person you know his own kind of judgment and acumen if you like uh he's he's had some well-known you know hits and misses in australia uh and also i think uh, you know, there are real questions about not just the succession, which is kind of played out in real time over, you know, in fiction and um, and and in reality uh, over the last few years um, uh, within the Murdoch family, but also what is the future of the business uh, itself? You know, um, legacy newspaper, um, cable TV, um, businesses, you know, are struggling left, right and centre. Uh, and so, yeah, I think there's, um, there are a lot of important kind of public interest questions, uh, about Lachlan as he has emerged as the, um, you know, chosen successor, uh, to Rupert. And, uh, and so a book was timely. Uh, it wasn't my idea, but when I was approached to do it, I, um, I agreed. Now, the biography is, uh, unauthorized. Did you approach the Murdochs and Lachlan in particular? Oh, um, multiple times. So the book um, was uh, always going to be warts and all and always going to be unauthorised. It was never predicated on access. But uh, I made it clear um, to Lachlan's people very early on that I was keen to get an interview if possible. And they said, uh, slim chance, um, like 5%. And I went, okay, I'll work with 5%. And I spent months and months um, trying to uh, well, I went through a whole series of briefings with some of the people that work most closely with him, uh, and um, both on within um, you know Fox and News, but all of it off the record. And then I went through a process of kind of 
picking out from those kind of briefings what were the bits that I was most, um, you know, interested in and, and wanted to use and putting those back in writing and checking that, you know, that, okay, they stood by those things and, you know, um, any changes, et cetera. Uh, but, but at the end, and I hoped that that process would uh, generate enough kind of trust and goodwill um, and show that I was genuine about trying to get his mm-hmm. perspective and his side of the story on, you know, the whole series of events in his life. And, uh, and I hoped that that would generate enough, enough sort of trust and goodwill that there would, at the end of that, be a, an on-the-record interview. But in the end, there wasn't. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we have nonetheless, I think, got a book that has, um, it doesn't pull its punches. I've tried to be fair and balanced at the same time. Uh, at the same time, I think it does represent um, his thinking, as you know, to the best of my ability. And you spoke to a range of other, other people who were in his orbit. Uh, was James Packer part of that? Yeah. So there were a few people that were prepared to go on the record, and mm-hmm. I was grateful for that, um, who are close to Lachlan. You know, James Packer was one of them. Um, the two, James Packer and Lachlan, have had a uh, fascinating kind of history. Um, and of course, as sons of media proprietors, billionaires, um, they have so much in common. Uh, they've had these parallel lives and they've done a lot of business together over the years and they remain good friends. And so, yeah, I did get time with, um, James Packer on the record. Uh, and you know, interestingly enough, if you read Damon Kidney's biography of James Packer, Lachlan had done the same thing for James. So I think there's a bit of a quid pro quo there, perhaps. Uh, but also people like Cole Allen, uh, who, um, you know, Lachlan, uh, you know, worked closely with, who uh, he took over to uh, run the New York Post um, back in the, you know, early um, aughts mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and remains close to, to this day. Um, you know, one of Lachlan's best friends, um, over the years, Joe Cross, uh, who, you know, uh, partied with him, uh, back in the nineties when Lachlan first arrived in Sydney and who remained a, a good friend, um, over the years. So, uh, yeah, so I felt like I did get some of the people that were, um, close to Lachlan on the record and, um, and yeah, so they've provided me with some good little good little newsy kind of nuggets uh, that I've put throughout the book. Let's move to his childhood, and it's an interesting one. And look, it seems like he, he grew up in a, a loving environment, and Rupert was present as a, as a dad, but it's it's probably fair to say Rupert was also about business, even when he was just being dad. How would you describe his childhood and the relationship he had with, with Rupert at that stage? Well, in, in a funny way, the Murdoch family, I mean, of course they're unique, but they, they they sort of relate to each other through the business. So um, Lachlan, reflecting back on his own childhood, he says himself, you know, we're a very very private family. Uh, you know, they don't talk about their feelings much, but they can talk about the business forever. And uh, and as they as they grow up and then enter the business, the three um, children to Lachlan's, I mean Rupert's second wife Anna Torv, uh, they. Uh, they and they all enter the business. They kind of and they enter it. You know, Lachlan's in Australia. Um, in his twenties. You know, Liz are uh, in England, and um, James in a combination of you know Hong Kong, um, the US, and then ultimately England as well. They kind of they're spread across the world, but they're relating through the company, hmm. and uh, and yeah, I think I think. Um, 
it's it's a kind of uh, supercharged kind of upbringing uh, where you know you imagine Lachlan they're in a um, Fifth Avenue apartment um, overlooking Central Park and across the road from the Guggenheim Museum I, I sort of stood at street level and looked up um, but um, but yeah a sort of enchanted existence with you know um, local politicians, um, you know, newspaper editors coming up to have dinner with them uh, as they grow up, you know, and they're just absor- soaking all this up. Mm. And so quite apart from, you know, their formal education, you know, there's another level of, there's another level of political and social kind of education going on that, you know, really not many people have the privilege uh, of that kind of upbringing. Okay, let's let's fast forward a little. Lachlan is you know the old, is the oldest son. He's not the standout academically, and for you know people early on, you know the pick of the litter was James. How was Lachlan seen by those around him in the family and by Rupert in particular? Well, the the way I think of it, Rupert wasn't a standout academically either, hmm. and in fact, for that matter, nor was Keith. Uh, so uh, it's in that way, Lachlan is quite like his father. Um, but yeah, Lachlan is the only one who doesn't get, you know, doesn't graduate from an Ivy League prep school. You know, he goes, he quits um, Andover, uh, the Phillips Academy, one of the top 10 schools in the States. Uh, and uh, he hates it. It's too disciplinarian. There's too, there's too much competition. You know, um, he's surrounded by, you know, the best and brightest from all over the country and the rest of the world. Uh, and, you know... Um, at that, at the time, he was there actually. When I was reading back through the school uh, magazines, you know, there was someone. There's someone. One of the students made a Stuart, uh, suicide attempt. You know, it was a kind of pressure cooker kind of environment, and Lachlan just went, "Nah, I hate it." And he goes off to study uh, to finish his um, schooling at the Aspen Country Day School, where the focus is on outdoor activities. And so, you know, I, I think that. Uh, is a kind of it was a sign for me. It was a little harbinger, if you like, of the of Lachlan's decision to quit the empire in two thousand and five. It kind of showed that he was prepared to walk out on his own terms, but it also was the source of that kind of reputation that you see um, either people kind of crediting James's intelligence. I mean, even Anna Murdoch herself does that at, at you know in some interviews. She kind of um, endorses you know James as being the you know, logical successor to Rupert and has and having his, you know, powers of intellect. Um, or even later, you see someone like the late, um, recently deceased Ken Cowley talking about how Liz is the smartest one of the Murdochs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one says that about Lachlan. And I think um, to a degree, um, you know, he's been underestimated. Well, look, of the four adult children, only Lachlan had a passion for print journalism and this love of print uh, meant Lachlan got his start in the family business in Australia. Now, tell us about this time because in many ways, this is the most important part of the story. Yeah, I think it is it is what distinguishes Lachlan from uh, from his siblings. Hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, a passion for the history of the company and the Australian roots of the company. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one who... I mean, he's portrayed often as the most dutiful son, um, although he does, as I said, you know, walk out of the of the family business in, in 2005. But uh, but he had the best relationship 
uh, I'm told, with Dame Elizabeth, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he certainly is the one that made the most of the Australian roots of the company and was keen to come out here and understand that and understand the print business. So neither Liz nor James ever worked on the newspapers and were much more interested in, in television uh, and, you know, new media and all that. Lachlan always loved newspapers. He loved to go um, watch the press's role at the New York Post. And then, you know, he does little internships and uh, as a, you know, teenager, uh, and as a, uh, the, when he's, while he's at university, some, you know, he goes over and works on the sun, um, in, in London, uh, for a little stint and, uh, comes out and works on the mirror in Sydney. And then when, when he's, after he's finished university and, and he decides that he's not going to become a competitive rock climber, what he's going to do is after, and this is after he reads a biography of his grandfather, he decides that he's going to, um, learn, uh, the ropes at the courier mail. Uh, where they're just the news uh, limited at this point is just investing in new color presses, uh, and and you know the family decides that it would be a good idea for Lachlan to come here and and make his start in the empire on that on that most traditional oldest you know form of the Murdoch media, the tabloid newspaper. Yeah, and look, it's an interesting time that he has here, and he definitely plants some roots in Australia. I mean, around this stage, he crosses paths with James Packer, who you mentioned earlier, and uh, it's a deep friendship, and it's also one that's marked with two really bad investments that they both go into, one being OneTel, and the other one more closer to the recent uh, times, Channel 10, and both are linked. I mean, uh, tell us about this friendship and the red ink that flowed from it. Yeah, it's it's quite extraordinary. So Packer um, was keen, uh, I think, to welcome Lachlan to Sydney and Australia, mm-hmm. and definitely reached out to him, uh, to Lachlan, and and yet at the same time, their families' empires were at war over Super League. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was a difficult situation, and and Lachlan as you know, uh, the young, you know, um, Sion, if you like, uh, and James, uh, you know, representing, um, you know, the Packer Empire, um, were both the kind of front, turned out to be the front people in that Super League war. They were the ones that the players wanted to hear from. They were of the same age as the, as the players. They were used to sign the contracts, sign the players up to contracts, mm-hmm. you know, between, you know, your ARL loyalists uh, who were on the Packer side and your Super League, you know, uh, breakaway um, clubs on the Murdoch side. And, um, and yet at, at, at a certain point with, you know, both sides racking up huge bills uh, and, you know, you've got rival codes, the game split, hugely divisive, still the most traumatic thing that's happened to that sport um, in living memory. Uh, and uh, the, the sons realise, they think that, you know, it's there's got to be, they, they need a circuit breaker. And James invites Lachlan off on Kerry's boat, the Arctic P. And some people might remember the Arctic P. It's a, you know, former icebreaker. It's a stunning looking boat. Uh, they sail off to Fiji, um, and it's just a kind of drink-a-thon party, uh, but it's to break the ice between the Packers and the Murdochs, and soon after that, you do get um, Kerry and Rupert sitting down to kind of sign a peace deal. And uh, I thought that was historically significant. It was also, funnily enough, the place where um, Lachlan's brother, James, uh, meets his future wife, um, Catherine 
uh, Hofschmidt, uh, who to, who um, happens to come along on that cruise. Um, so you know, and they've had a lasting marriage out of that. Uh, but um, but yeah, then Packer um, uh, and Lachlan invest in a whole bunch of things around convergence. Actually, they have you know they are they do become firm friends, and and ultimately Packer brings to Lachlan. Uh, the idea of investing in OneTel, uh, which has been founded by his schoolmate, uh, Jody Rich. And uh, without going into the whole history of hmm. OneTel, uh, it turns into a disaster. Massive disaster. Yeah, through the tech wreck, uh, they lose best part of a billion dollars between them. Uh, and and it's an interesting study also in the different upbringing that James Packer hmm. and Lachlan Murdoch had. Um, Kerry Packer is... Um, punitive towards his son, uh, Rupert Murdoch is much more forgiving and basically accepts that, you know, uh, you're going to have, you know, hits and misses along the way. Um, it's part of a learning experience for Lachlan uh, and he does, there's no kind of reproach there, even though it's News, News Corporation has lost so much money. So, um, but James Packer feels that he, because, because it was Jody, his own friend, because James Packer was so much closer to OneTel, he was monitoring the accounts. He feels like, uh, and Lachlan was relying on James, uh, and he feels like he owes Lachlan one. And so you see over the ensuing kind of decade, uh, on multiple occasions, uh, James comes back to Lachlan and says, look, I've got something, I've got something better, I've got something new, I've got something different. That happens with Channel 10. It happens with actually one of Lachlan's best ever deals. Um, it... it is uh, realestate.com.au and uh, pretty early in the piece after Lachlan had made his first investment in, in REA, uh, James Packer gives him his, um, sells him his stake, uh, 10% stake, which becomes important um, down the track. So yeah, there's a kind of, imba- not imbalance, but there's a sense on James Packer's part, he's hard on himself over mm. one tell to this day and uh, a sense that he has to make it up to Lachlan. Yeah, and it's it's pretty clear that one tell was that it probably stung Lachlan. It hasn't left any uh, lasting mark on him at all. Uh, but James has been carrying this around. But then Channel Ten is a, a colossal disaster. Yeah. So you know the 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 most bitter, I suppose, experience apart from uh, you know one tell going broke for Lachlan was his his time in the witness box. Uh, as you know, you have a decade of litigation that follows the collapse of OneTel, uh, including um, you know, uh, you know, case brought by a special purpose liquidator directed specifically at um, James and and Lachlan, uh, as in James Packer and, and Lachlan Murdoch, which ends up getting settled. So that drags on for a decade, and I think that was probably the most painful part of OneTel for Lachlan was. Not so much the collapse, hmm. but the legal, um, right. the litigation that followed, and he's never gone back in the witness box since. Uh, but Channel Ten is a different story. Channel Ten is the Channel Ten, I think, is the is the kind of business uh, failure that um, hurts Lachlan the most because it's his own money. At this point, um, he's already quit the Murdoch Empire. Uh, he's set up his own private investment firm, Illyria, in Sydney. He's working here. And he, um, James Packer comes to him and says, I've bought 18%. Do you want to go halves with me? Um, and it's kind of out of the blue, uh, but he agrees to it. And, um, and 
And he, you know, James Packer says to this day, and I quote him in the book saying, uh, to, he doesn't know why he, he went back into free-to-air television mm. in 2010. It's a, uh, he can't explain it. Looking back, uh, you know, he just sold out. He'd gone to great lengths to get out of um, uh, Channel 9 um, and get into Crown. Uh, so what, what, why did he go back into Channel 10? But anyway, um, he did, and Lachlan went with him. But then Lachlan can't, and, and James Packer said this to me, James feels that he he wore the blame for one till, but he and Lachlan have to share the blame for Channel 10. Uh, well, it seems like Lachlan was even more hands-on in this particular situation. So Totally. He yeah. was the acting chief executive and he was chairman for a time at the board. He was involved in all of the major decisions to, to hire James Warburton, which then ends up in the huge mm -hmm. um, legal stash with Channel 7, um, to uh, make a big bid for the uh, NRL rights, which fails. They and, passed on the voice. Know, on the voice. Uh, yeah, they had, uh, what was it called? The renovators, uh, 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 you know, the arrival to the block, which, uh, which failed dismally and they had no, no plan B. Uh, just a series, just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Actually, if you read, um, Tim Burrows has a fantastic book, Media Unmade, that chronicles, you know, the restructuring of the big, th uh, three commercial, um, television networks in Australia over that decade. Uh, they all went through, uh, you know, a painful wrenching restructure, but uh, but Channel Ten is the one that ultimately went broke, and yeah, that, you know he lost a hell of a lot of money uh, of his own money on on that seven year investment in Channel Ten. Look, there's so much to go through here just with his time in Australia, but I, I want to end on this point. You know, Rupert is an Australian who identifies as an American and is happy to see out his days there. Um, Lachlan, in many ways, the opposite. Yeah, you know, why do you think Lachlan? Uh, identified and, and connected so deeply with Australia? I think he came out and had a great time in the 90s. Right. Uh, <laughs> basically, he um, he has an American accent, but he laments it. Uh, he wishes he doesn't. Uh, he was born in England, but um, but he kind of in some interviews sounds almost embarrassed about that as well. Uh, I think he identifies as, as an Australian uh, because, you know, his parents are both Australian, his wife is Australian, uh, and I think also there's a kind of um, tension between his kind of current day job, which is running Fox Corporation, um, you know, a, f a fully 100% American-focused business, uh, has no operations here, uh, and um, and his desire to live here with his family. And he's, re you know, recently uh, moved his family back to Australia because they think, I think it's a healthier place to raise their three kids. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's a kind of interesting, um, there's a kind of, you, you know, you started the conversation talking about whether Lachlan was a ghost, like, you know, who is he? Um, yep. and I think there's an interesting kind of tension between the, the job he does, um, and the, and the role that it plays, um, in American politics and society, um, on the one hand, and his desire at a personal level to be. Here in Australia, where you know strong public health, anti-gun laws, we don't have the degree of polarisation that you see in America. There's a whole bunch of reasons why Australia is actually quite different to America, and it's interesting that Lachlan identifies more with Australia than America. Uh, very ironic. Uh, look, we could delve into that one uh, for for ages, but I I, I just want to go back to. He definitely seems to have a romantic vision or idea of what News Corp is. And 
Australia is very much part of that. The the, the origin stories of the company. He's he seems to be the one, uh, one of the, the only one of Murdoch's children who actually seems to care about where this company came from and how it was built. Is Australia also just part of this romantic vision of of a company that a lot of people have a very anti romantic vision of? Yeah, I think I think I think he he would say that um, he he does. Um, uh, you know, I'm actually just about to write do a PhD on the history of News Corporation. Oddly enough, you know, reaching back over a century, and they've just passed their centenary year this year. Uh, you know, I think he is the one who is most interested in uh, in that history for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has spoken about it. He's spoken about. You know, his grandfather, Keith Murdoch's Gallipoli letter, it's a foundational act of journalism um, during World War I uh, for the Murdoch family. Um, Rupert has spoken about it as well. Um, Lachlan definitely sees himself as a kind of torchbearer um, for, you know, that kind of, um, oh, well, I mean, you could call it um, not crusading journalism, but, uh, but you know, the Gallipoli letter, if you read it, is a very uh, impassioned um, impassioned document, you know, very pro-Australian, quite um, pro-war, in fact, uh, but n- nonetheless, it was anti the Gallipoli campaign, and um, and did help stop it and bring about the you know English withdrawal, and that's something that the Murdochs are very proud of. But you know, if you talk to the people that have worked for Lachlan, they'll say, oh, well, some of that is a little bit, um, some of that rhetoric is a little bit, um, you know, it's kind of not self-serving, but uh, but you know, at the end of the day. Um, the Murdochs are business people. Um, they're not, you know, sentimental. Uh, they've, you know, they can, they can close, they, yeah, they've got no problem closing, um, closing newspapers if, if they, if, you know, if there's a commercial imperative to do, to, to do so, um, and, and, and selling out of businesses and, and, you know, all of that. So I, so I don't want to over, overstate, mm-hmm. um, Lachlan's kind of, any sense of nostalgia, um, you know, I'm, the people around him, you know, I was told through the researching of the book. Oh no, it's not that he, it's not his love of news. He, he loves news. It's not. It's not to do with print. Uh, you know, he is. You know, he brought the boards of Fox and News Corporation together at the beginning of this year specifically to focus them on how uh, the business would um, respond to Web 3.0. So his view was that. Uh, the whole industry, the media industry, was caught napping by Web 2.0. You know, the rise of social media stole all the ad revenue, um, and and he's determined that um, that you know that's not going to happen with with the next iteration of the web. Um, so so yeah, I would I, they were pressing on me um, not to kind of overplay um, any kind of sentimental attachment to print. Let's delve in a bit deep into what makes him tick. Now, look, during that first major stint in Australia, he lo- he locked himself firmly into you know the eastern suburb scene, and um, you know if his political leanings, if you could if you could uh, read them at the time, were probably small L liberal, especially on social issues. But that identity's changed over time. I mean, in your research, did you see uh, how or where this shift took place? I think I think it's a gradual process, and I think in fact that um, his grandfather and father both went through a similar kind of trajectory, mm-hmm. uh, if you like. That um, that you know, in their younger years, there's a you know social bent, um, and yeah, small L liberal kind of view of the world, perhaps, 
uh, and Lachlan cert, and but by the by their fifties and sixties, they're certainly on the much more conservative side of politics. So I think both Keith and Rupert went through that kind of arc. Um, I think Lachlan, you know, when he came out to Australia, um, certainly very kind of open-minded, tolerant on social issues, and you know, also. Um, Auntie Hansen at the time, you know, mm-hmm. who was just enjoying her first kind of rise, you know, in the late nineties, um, and pro Republic. So Lachlan certainly had a kind of, he was described as soft left. For example, if you read Paul Barry's book, um, uh, rich kids about the, you know, one tell fiasco, um, yeah, Lachlan was viewed as kind of having this touchy feely view of the world, uh, in the business community. So he, he was kind of, he described his own politics as um, socially liberal but economically conservative. Now, I'm, I'm told that he would still describe his politics that way, and he has as recently as a couple of years ago. But the problem is, at the same time as Lachlan is, you know, portraying himself as socially liberal, he's donating, for example, a million dollars to the Senate Leadership Fund of uh, Mitch McConnell, who, you know, um, as minority leader in the Senate for the you know Republican Party, he has been more than any other person probably the um, architect of the conservative supermajority on the US Supreme Court. So how can you square away describing yourself as socially liberal while at the same time, you know, uh, in a post, you know, row America, uh, you've got, um, you know, you've got such a divided country and you've got a Supreme Court that's taking so many extreme positions on climate change, guns, you know, abortion. It just doesn't, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile being socially liberal with having, you know, as your best friend in um, Australian politics, Tony Abbott, uh, you know, who is, you would have to say on the, on the hard right of the Liberal Party. He's certainly on the conservative wing. Yeah, certainly nowhere near the centre of Australian politics. Uh, and look, how can you how can you be uh, angry about uh, Pauline Hanson and and at the same time uh, perfectly comfortable with what Tucker Carlson's been saying about replacement theory, which seems far more insidious and, and worse. Um, but but look, this this brings me to this thing. Like you know, Fox News has slid far more to the right under his control, and it's fair to say. Uh, you know, well, you know, he's not as hands-on as his father, and some people even uh, even saying that he's a bit absent at the wheel at Fox. But this has all happened under his watch. I mean, what, what's your view? Did he? Did he? He's, is this something that's just basically happened under him, or has he basically given this the tick of approval? I think Lachlan's view is that he doesn't run Fox News. Suzanne Scott runs Fox News and Jay Wallace is the president and he is not the editor-in-chief. He is the CEO of Fox Corporation and he bristles at the suggestion that he runs Fox News. Now, whether that washes, um, that's up to, you know, uh, everyone else to decide. But that's I, I've come across that um, argument from him and his, um, you know, advisors uh, throughout the research for the book. Um and he, he, um, I think his view is that, um, you know, the uh, quality of debate um, is improved by a diversity of voices. He hates um, groupthink. He believes that no uh, no other part of the mainstream media is representing the centre right, and so it behoves Fox, um, Fox News, the New York Post, to step into the breach. Um, and that's what they've done successfully. It's a successful business strategy because it corners, you know, one side of the market, uh, which they, I mean, he kind of laments in a recent speech this year, for example, laments the failure of the rest of the mainstream media to cover a story like the Hunter Biden laptop 
which you know breaks in the New York Post two weeks out from the 2020 election, but is not picked up by any other media. Now, you know that would be an example. I would suggest a rare example where. Um, where it has been, you know, the the coverage of the post in that context was vindicated, you know, to a couple of years later, as you know, for example, other outlets. But the conspiracy theories that flowed from it were were, were ludicrous. Uh, well, it was a bit of a sort of October surprise, and journalists at the same time, even at the post, were trying to take their bylines off the story. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal didn't run it. Uh, it's and but we do have investigations going on into the inf- influence peddling of Hunter Biden, and you'll never, you, you know. Yeah, and and look, the diversity of voices, I, th- I think, is something that most of us would actually agree with. But but maybe the the problem here and the and the bait and switch that's going on is what we're talking about is not centre right. This is not centre right. What you know, Tucker Carlson's arguing for night after night is not not centre right. No, that's right, and I don't want to mount. I I do want to represent Lachlan's view of it, but I don't yeah. want to mount a an extended defence of view of it either. I mean, I I you know Tucker Carlson's program uh, is you know described you know in one analysis by the New York Times earlier this year is the most racist program uh, in the history of cable television. Uh, you, you know the criticism of Lachlan, I think, um, and of Rupert to an extent is that post-Roger Ailes, um, that they have allowed the talent to kind of take over. It's like the animals running the zoo. And um, and that, you know, organisations like the Anti-Defamation League or Media Matters for America say, you know, the Murdochs need to remind Tucker Carlson, uh, for example, uh, who's boss, you know, and that they can exert control over what he says. Now, he trumpets that he doesn't clear his scripts or his, you know, his producers don't clear his scripts with, with anyone. Um, you know, by all accounts, Lachlan is mates with Tucker Carlson. You know, there was a piece that appeared just mm. earlier this um, earlier this month talking about how, um, how Tucker Curry's favour with Lachlan. I, I keep expecting at some point that, um, you know, they'll get, tired of the controversy, you know, Lachlan, you know, backgrounded um, journalists um, towards the end of last year about um, Tucker's series Patriot Purge about the January 6th, you know, insurrection, which, you know, he wanted to downplay that it was any insurrection at all or any danger to democracy um, and, you know, even suggest that it was a false flag operation. Now, this is outrageous, especially in the context of what we've seen from the January 6th committee um, hearings in mm. Congress. So, I'm not here to defend. No, and and, and so I'm really trying Dr. to un- Carlson. But- I'm trying to unpick this because, I, like we've, we've talked about, it's very hard to get a handle on on Lachlan, and it, it seems that he does have conservative views, and they seem to be deeply held. But at the same time, what we're seeing here is something a little bit different. This isn't that Tucker Carlson and those people are ba- basically being. Uh, being the the facade for this, it's more that uh, news has found itself in a place where the way that it makes its money is through this kind of speech, and the brand and the business model is so tied up with this. Do they do, do Rupert and Lachlan, uh, in some respects, trapped within the, a cage that they've built where they can't really attack this stuff because this is the brand? Well, I think. Uh, that is part of the branding for Fox News, but you have to remember, and certainly that is the secret to the, um, you know, high ratings of the primetime anchors who, you know, really prop up the prop up the news channel. But 
you know, you have to, I suppose, put that in some kind of context. Um, they also run Fox Sports. They also also run a whole bunch of local TV stations in America that are much more straight down the middle. They run the Wall Street Journal, which produces excellent journalism. You know, whether it's the Facebook Files or Theranos Investigation, they've, um, you know, they run uh, obviously a whole bunch of other newspapers in Australia and the UK as well. Um, and and so I I think um, you know Lachlan has to wear, has to take responsibility for Fox News, absolutely. Mm. But the, he should also be, I suppose, um, it should be recognised that there is also other, you know, journalism, good, some, some good, some mm. bad going on inside the Murdoch empire. I don't think it's part of the Mur- Fox News equals the Murdoch media brand. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's fair. Some of the best journalists in Australia and the world are working in this company, so we are talking about the extremes of what's going on, but the extremes of what's going on are, are incredibly concerning. I agree. Uh, so and look, so do other of the Murdoch um, siblings. Yeah, and I want to get to that. I want to get to that. So look, um, look, Lachlan is currently basically the successor, isn't he? He's the one who's going to take over from Rupert. No, and he has taken over. In fact, he has taken over. Okay, and and look, uh, there's two. There seems to be two events which have pushed him into this position. One was J- James Murdoch basically getting mortally wounded by the phone hacking scandal, and the other is the rise of Trump and the wedge that it's driven through the family and and uh, I guess to some extent through the company. Uh, well, it's it sort of has, I guess. Yes, um, there's you know um, Let Trump me... lifted ratings across the board. Yeah, yeah, and there is a post-Trump effect going on now as ratings decline. Fox, I mean, Lachlan has argued, uh, in fact, that the biggest beneficiary of the Trump years was MSNBC, which skewed left and was like, as Lachlan has described it, the loyal opposition uh, to the Trump administration. Um, Fox has benefited in some ways. Um, Lachlan has argued, and he's been right about that. He was pilloried at the time at the beginning of 2021, uh, but he's been right that Fox's ratings have rebounded under Biden as the, you know, uh, kind of groundswell of criticism of the, um, you know, uh, of of the Biden administration has kind of has risen up. Now, the Murdochs were quite ambivalent, actually, about, um, about Trump. Uh, and uh, in the lead up to the 2016 election, as, you know, people including Michael Wolff have, have reported. Uh, and as was clear for all to see from, you know, Rupert Murdoch's own Twitter feed, uh, what what and and one thing that's forgotten often is that James and James Murdoch and mm-hmm. Lachlan were uh, quite closely working together and aligned um, in that period 2015 2016 for example when Lachlan has re-entered the business James is the CEO of 21st Century Fox they worked together for to for example oust Roger Ailes uh, and at that at that moment. You know, in the wake of um, Gretchen Carlson's allegations of sexual harassment and the exposure of the culture, the toxic culture that existed at the network, um, and that is, you know, one of Lachlan's finest hours, if if you ask my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, at that point, they're aligned. But I think I do think that the the uh, politics of the Trump, you know, White House did divide the brothers, and they certainly uh, begin to differ. You know, as you see, for example, the Trump um, first, one of their first acts was to ban immigration from seven Muslim-majority nations. Lachlan and James then differ about the wording of a statement that should be put out 
you know, opposing that ban by Fox Corporation. Um, when you get to the Charlottesville, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, as Catherine um, Murdoch described it, you know, Nazis marching in Virginia, um, you know, by this time, um, James and Catherine believe that, so strongly that they have to denounce it and they're appalled by the reaction, not just of Trump, but some of the anchors on, on Fox News as well. They denounce, they ab- absolutely denounce, um, you know, you know, all those, when you've got images of, you know, um, neo-Nazis calling out, you know, Jews will not replace us, you know, and, and um, Trump saying that there's fine people on both sides. So um, now Lachlan is, he's, le- he's to this day, I think, um, doesn't really believe in. I, I I imagine that he he might call it virtue signalling. He's not really into airing what his personal views are, um, and kind of questions why um, James and Catherine would feel the need to put out a statement denouncing Trump or denouncing racism at that point. And this kind of divide between them, between the brothers, um, kind of just continues to deepen. And you see it in the Black Summer coverage, you know, criticism from James and Catherine over the Murdoch media's coverage of climate change and arson and whether it had contributed to the fires that we saw that, that, that summer. Uh, you know, that, and that has not healed. From Lachlan's point of view, James is being opportunistic and hypocritical because he maintains a, a, a valuable stake in the business through the Murdoch Family Trust, which he won't um, sell or renounce. On the other hand, um, you know, James and Catherine's view... Um, as I understand it, is that um, Fox News has gone, you know, off the rails. Um, well, let, let's move to this because, you know, unlike the TV show, um, you know, we've just discussed that Lachlan is the ultimate victor here. He he is in charge. You can you can see a twist coming down the line here. He might not be in charge in the long term if, you know, Rupert retires or dies. How, how do you see this might play out? Well, the way there's been a scenario that's been kind of speculated in the media for a number of years now, yeah. which is that uh, what happens when um, the way the trust, the Murdoch family trust, is structured, is that there are um, eight votes. Rupert has four. Lachlan has one, and his siblings they have one each. So, so at the moment you have a five-three dynamic where um, Rupert and Lachlan can control the trust by themselves. And out, and outvote Liz Prue and James. However, once Rupert passes, um, and I don't think that happens when he retires, it happens when he passes, um, if and when that happens, uh, then his four votes disappear. And then you've got Lachlan outvoted. And so that scenario has been plain for all to see for a number of years. I called up you know, one financial analyst who said to me, quite simply... Um, it's fair to say that the day Rupert passes is the day Lachlan gets fired. And in fact, that's been picked up by, that's one of the things that's been picked up by um, Vanity Fair and The Guardian in the news today, um, you know, out of the book. Uh, now, there was a scenario where Lachlan and Rupert were going to um, try and Lachlan was going to try and buy out the siblings. And, and the view was that that would rid the family of, a, of sort of internal critics rid, mm-hmm. and they could... Rupert and Lachlan could run it as a centre-right business as they saw fit. Uh, but what I'm told is that, that, that Lachlan, at that time, was, Lachlan was not able to raise the money to, to, to buy out his siblings and also, as I understand it, had a view that it would, what would it give him? He already had control of the business. He didn't need to buy them out. It didn't give him anything that he didn't have already. Uh, but 
as I understand it, that that option is now off the table. There's a determination on the part of the other siblings once Rupert passes to assert control of this business. Right. So in that scenario, then he he's he's not really the successor. He's the he's the current the current uh, I guess a person in the chair, uh, and, and so this could end very badly for him. Well, it's a delicate situation because uh, at the same time, you know, the the forty percent stake that the Murdoch Family Trust owns in Fox and News Corporation, and by this time they might be recombined, that is worth billions in itself, and. Let's not pretend that um, James, Liz, or Prudence are, you know, radical lefties that are going to somehow, um, you know, uh, trash this business um, that is extremely valuable and makes money on the basis of, you know, a certain kind of editorial stance. Um, James used to run this business and he didn't uh, crash it. He didn't try to subvert it. Uh, so so I, I'm not suggesting that there will be some radical... Um, change the words that were put to me was that the um, siblings would manifest control of the trust in a way that promotes and enhances democracies around the world. Now that is not a radical left prescription. That is just uh, reining in the kind of excesses that you've seen lead to um, the Dominion Smartmatic cases against Fox um, in the wake of the 2020 election and what's known as the big lie. So a reset to pre-Trump. Yeah, and if you like a reset, well, a reset to to pre the big lie, yep. and a reset to, um, uh, you know, telling the truth. Because I think the strongest criticism of Fox News in particular, and I'm not talking about Murdoch Media in general, I'm talking about Fox News in particular, yep. is the role that it is played in propagating the big lie misinformation on COVID, like resisting mask mandates and vaccine scepticism, and, and that has, you know, according to academic studies recently, even contributed to a lower vaccination rate among, amongst its Republican audience and therefore a higher death rate. I mean, that is serious. That's a serious criticism, uh, that, and that's based in data. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, issues like climate change, you know, and you could go on. So I think, you know, the critique that comes from um, James's side of the family is that is that you can have a diversity of opinion and that's great, uh, but when, when your uh, opinion turns into misinformation, that's when you've got a problem. And I think that Fox News, there's plenty of evidence that Fox News has veered, has crossed that line repeatedly in recent years. Well, look, finally, and you, you touched on us before, you, you're not done with this family. What's your next project? Uh, yeah, so I've, for my sins, I'm now going to embark on a um, history of um, news corporation going back over a century. So um, the theory is that there has been um, plenty of, um, you know, I, I, actually, according to one um, so-called Murdochologist, there's been a hundred more than 100 books about Rupert Murdoch, in fact. Uh, but, um, yeah, I am going to do a PhD on the history of the company. And so I, I, it's supervised by um, Macquarie University uh, professor in media history, Bridget Griffin-Foley. She did a history of Consolidated Press. Um, Gavin Suda has done a two-volume history of um, Fairfax. Uh, but nobody, according to Bridget, when I approached her about doing this PhD, um, she, she made the point nobody has done a proper job on News Corporation. 
Um, Sally Young is doing a multi-volume um, history of Australian media, uh, but and but her work uh, actually turned up, you know, it's a really uh, interesting story about the birth of News Limited in 1922, and uh, and she herself called for, you know, more research into the into the formation and history of this company. So, um, yeah, I'm going to spend the next couple of years um, completing that as a bit. PhD, and by which time I will myself, I think, be a fully qualified murdochologist. <laughs> well, I can't wait. Well, Paddy Manning, the, the successor is it's a ripping read, and uh, Thank thanks you. for being on the show. Thanks very much, Anthony. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tourist CR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to my producer, Marlene Even. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>